Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Culture Calculus Podcast, brought to you by the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazney Lambray. Man, of course I got my co-host with me, Kavitha Davidson. Don't get it twisted, y'all. She's the star of the show. I just happen to be talking first. Nah, stop that, but hello. (laughs) And I'm really excited about today's show because this man is culture. (laughs) He is culture. He really, really is. Formerly, of course, of TMZ, now of The Ringer and Spotify. He's getting them checks, y'all. My man, my boy, Van Lathan. Welcome to the show, Van. What up? How are you guys doing today, man? Was we met, was it three, four years ago? Three years ago. Yeah, and I'm so impressed by your continual rise, bro, and everything that you're doing. Couldn't have happened to a nicer and better guy. Me and Waz met getting cracked on Hennessy, or cracked on Crown, mm-hmm. and trying to do stuff for Uninterrupted. <laughs> Which if you go back and look at it, it was sponsored by Crown. They were giving us the Crown and we were just going crazy. <laughs> they were encouraging us to get drunk and give NBA finals takes. I, give I don't NBA know. finals takes. And they paid us with me, Austin Rivers and Eric Bledsoe, who I got so drunk that I called him Drew Bledsoe. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I got, Waz, well, is that true? That I got happened. so drunk, that I called happened. him. I was like, when they start, we started drinking. I'm like, I'm here with Austin Rivers and... Drew Bledsoe, and he he's a quiet guy, but he did not like that. Yeah. It could be the nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, Van. So, Van, it's so crazy because the reason why I thought of you as being our guest, because when we first met, and it was on the set of a job, obviously, but what I loved when I met Van, I didn't know anything aside from the, you know, obviously the TMZ stuff. Uh-huh. This guy is the most inquisitive guy you will ever meet. He's very curious. He's always asking questions. He's super engaged with literally every single person at the job set. And I'm like, yo, this is an interesting cat. And then I got to know your story a little bit. Of course, you're from Louisiana, which is a place I just happen to be really fascinated with. It's just a very specific place. You know what I mean? But also specifically from Baton Rouge, right? Mm -hmm. Like... Yeah. And whenever yeah. we talk about Louisiana, we only ever talk about New Orleans, right? Right. Now, I think that um, it's interesting because, and Walls, I'm going to tell you why I think that you are uh, your thing with Louisiana, because there's some you in there. Yes. Culturally, there's some you in there, Louisiana. Yeah. You're a proud Haitian man. Yeah. And there is our culture down in Louisiana. Right. It's, it's Haiti gumbo. of America in the sense that the French owned right. it first. Right. And they had the Negroes over there. So you guys are Negroes of French influence, just like us. Same thing. Same thing. And as far as Baton Rouge is interesting now, because um, I always maintain that New Orleans is the heart of the state. And then Baton Rouge is the brain. Mm -hmm. uh, Because everything about Louisiana that is notable to anyone anywhere, you just kind of ball it up and you put it into one city. And that's kind of what New Orleans is, right? That's what New Orleans is. Now, really, New Orleans is just representative of an entire region, which is basically South Louisiana. But it's right there. That's the hub. But as far as everything else that goes on in Louisiana, obviously, Baton Rouge is the state capital. Big Fortune 500 companies there in Baton Rouge, a lot of that stuff. So Baton Rouge is kind of the place. that. Don't like, forget about the Bayou Bengals. We, we, LSU, <laughs> the flagship <laughs> university, of course. My like, LSU, love my, love my Tigers. So Baton Rouge is kind of like the serious part of the city. But I mean, be honest with you, with what's happening in rap and hip hop, 
we start to get more visibility than ever before. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. So, man, talk to us about how a boy from Baton Rouge finds himself in L.A. and you get Oscar nominations and all of that. We're going to get into that <laughs> at some point. How did you find your way to L.A., brother? Well, two things. Number one, I, I had started working while I was in college in different TV and film projects that were going on around the state uh, because there's a tax credit in Louisiana, or at least there was then. And there were a lot of productions that were coming down. So I started to work on those. And then in 2005, I had a life moment. Okay, I've been working, doing this for a couple of years. Um, I was working on a movie called The Reaping and Hurricane Katrina came through. And, you know, we all lost something during Hurricane Katrina. You know, it doesn't matter if you lost people, if you lost property, if you lost a sense of safety, if you lost faith in uh, American societal structures, whatever it is, like we all lost something. What I lost was my need to be at home. Mm. Louisiana is a need state. It's a state to where you feel like you're an alien anywhere else because there are things that are so signature about where you're from. You can't find them anywhere else. And you just go, I can't leave here. Like if I leave here, where am I going to get crawfish? If I leave here, where am I going to get gumbo? If I leave here, where am I going to get be around people like this, right? Uh, but Hurricane Katrina shook that need. It shook that need because just society just broke so quick and things were so fragile that I was like, you know what? Let me go see what else is out there. So I left, came out to LA, supposed to come out here for a week to check it out. Never went back home. Now, did it shake that need? Because I mean, yeah, you saw how broken society was. Did you doubt, not necessarily that it would be rebuilt, but how it would be rebuilt, that it would be the same Louisiana that you grew up in? I thought it would never be the same again. And I mourned it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I didn't leave immediately. Hurricane came through in August. I came to LA February 06. So I finished out the movie and I didn't leave immediately, but I uh, I thought things would never be the same. I really did. And it's a, a testament to the will and the spirit of the people there that they have rebuilt and things are the same. I mean, mm-hmm. there are certainly things that never came back and we lost and it was it was pain it was a gut punch but i say i saw how fragile everything was i just was just like you know none of this stuff is guaranteed to you it's not guaranteed to you that any of this stuff is going to be here so why don't you just go for what it is that you're feeling so i left now did that shake your sense of self me myself like me being from new york is such a part of my identity and if i felt like new york would not be here for me again i think that would that would shake me yeah it shook my sense of self Insofar as I was very locked into the me that I was there. And I had only even at 25, I had really, you know, the beats of my life were there. Mm -hmm. And it seemed as if those beats were going to exist for 10, 15, 20 years. Like, I felt like I knew who I was. And then when I got to L.A., I realized I didn't know who I was at all. And I'm still realizing that to this day. So it's so funny, Van, that you would say that because, you know, I think about you and because, again, I've followed your story, your rise. I know that you've always had an interest in entertainment, right? Sure. Uh And so I feel like L.A. had to always be beckoning like this is where you have to go to fulfill that need that you've always had. Like, obviously, I know you're big into nerd culture, uh-huh. and that's not a passive thing. Right, you can't passively be into comic books. It's something you have to pursue. Right. So you've been doing that forever, and this is a passion of yours. And I know that you've wrote, written movie scripts and all kinds of stuff. Uh-huh. And everybody knows if that's what you want to do. You have to be here in L.A. So 
when you got here, you said you came for a week and never left. What happened? Man, I got out here and I was, shout out to my man, Tommy Talley, a guy I've known for a long time. Tommy had been in L.A. for a little while. We worked on one of our first shows together, College Hill, BT show mm. College Hill was the first show mm. I ever worked on. And uh, Tommy, I've known Tommy since middle school and he worked on College Hill, did a couple of other things and then he moved out to L.A. with his wife. So I told him, I'm going to come out here, man. I'm going to look around and check it out. He's like, yeah, come on, come on. Um, so I got on the train. I was too afraid to fly at that point. <laughs> got on the Amtrak train. <laughs> so let me tell you what happened. Let, so, well, Van, Van, listen. So, you know, New Yorkers, we have a, we're stupid, right? Like, meaning, like, if you live south of Jersey, you're a Bama. Uh -huh. You taking the train to LA from Louisiana, you a Bama for that one, bro. <laughs> that's not the end of it, though. So, so that's not the end of it. So, shout out my boy Ryan Davenport. One of my closest friends, probably my closest friend. I met him when I was in the first grade. I remember he he was bringing me down to New Orleans and he was passively trying to talk me out of it. He was bringing me to the Amtrak station and he was passively trying to talk me out of it. He was like, uh, hey man, you know, this and this and that. It's a big city and all of this stuff like that. And I looked over, I never forget. And he was like, you really leaving? And he was welling up. You know what I mean? And I just like, it's my man. Like, I never forgot that. So we got down there and I get there. You talk about being a Bama. And I realized, we get there like an hour early. I realized that it's 48 hours and I didn't bring anything to eat, right? And so I'm like, okay, let's go to Walmart. So we go to Walmart and he's thinking I'm going to buy snacks. That's not what I did. I bought like big containers. And he was like, well, what are you doing? So I bought big containers and then we went to the Popeyes on Canal. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I, got a, I got 20 pieces of chicken. <laughs> and I put them in these big containers, right? And so I got, and I put them in these big containers, put some napkins under them and stuff like that. And this was going to, what was gonna, I was going to eat for 48 hours. And I remember Ryan looked at me, he was like, dog. <laughs> I didn't have no luggage. I had cardboard boxes with my clothes in. You at least get sides, man? Like, yeah, like, no, no sides. I had no luggage. I had cardboard boxes with my clothes in. That's all I had. Cardboard boxes with my clothes in. Popeye's and, chicken. And, and Popeye's chicken. He was like, bro. He was like, you look like a refugee right now. <laughs> like, he, he was like, he was like, seriously, bro. Like, you understand how crazy this looks? Because the dudes were coming on, they had to get the little, uh, the things and put them on there to get the boxes in there and put the boxes in the Amtrak thing. And with, with boxes of, with like a, with, with boxes of chicken, with containers full of chicken. And I stood there for two days and I, you know what I did? I watched, uh, <laughs> I had downloaded Pulp Fiction onto my computer and stuff like that. And I was watching The Wire. I had like I, I found a torrent site that had Wire episodes when I was watching The Wire on, on the way to L.A. So, so yeah, and then I got out here. And, and when I got out here and I got with Tommy, we went to the Target over at uh, the corner of La Brea and uh, La Brea and Santa Monica. We went to that Target. Oh, Actually, shit. We that's were, where I lived. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, we went to that Target. No, I literally, like, I was on, I was on Santa Monica and Detroit. I was on that building on Santa Monica. Literally, that's where right. I lived the last year. And so I, we went to that Target. And when we went to the Target, I'm telling you, little things got me here. Little things kept me here. We went to the Target. I'm like, Ryan is right. This is a big city. Like, there's like, it doesn't seem like there's a pulse to it. How am I ever going to find myself here? And when we went to the Target, I was in line at the, uh, at the Target and the woman in front of me, was like, uh, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And the the late lady she was waiting on was like, 
please, please, please. And then she bought it, and I looked over, and it was Eva Mendez. I went, I'm never going back home. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm like, I'm not. That's it. And like, if, if and I want to, I want to live in a place where you can see Eva Mendez at Target. I'm never, I'm never going back. Home. It's over. By the way, is that a Master P jersey behind you? That's a Master P jersey. Yeah. Nice. Lord have mercy. <laughs> For the people who are listening, Van has a framed. Master P, is that Charlotte Hornets? What is this? This is Charlotte Hornets, a frame Master, Master P, Charlotte Hornets Hornet jersey hung up on his wall. Again, he's a Bama. Man, um, <laughs> so talk to me about your first sort of break that you got here in LA and was like, because LA and New York are these kind of cities, they're so transient. A lot of times people feel like they're on the brink of having to go back wherever the hell they came from. Right. Right. So when did you get your first little footing and said, nah, I'm actually going to be here? Good question. Um, well, I got a job at a company called Capricorn Programs where I was actually like writing and producing small clip shows. And that let me know that I could stay in the city because, you know, I used to work at Best Buy back in Louisiana. And once I got out here, I was like, look, if I can work at Best Buy in Louisiana, I could work at Best Buy in LA. And that's not a shot to anybody working at Best Buy. I'm just saying there were going to be jobs and there was an economy here if I wanted to stay. But I used to have this reoccurring nightmare. You know, I still have it about just like not knowing where things were going to come from. I still like have this dream where I'm in the bed, sleep, and I have anxiety because I don't have a career. It's almost like sometimes I'll be just graduating high school or sometimes I'll be just graduating college. And that moment where you're like, what happens now? And I used to have it even when I was at TMZ and I would be like, when I would wake up, I was like, oh, I'm going into work right now to be on TV. You're doing it. Relax. Uh, and that dogged me up until the point that I got to TMZ. Because when I got to TMZ, I started to, to do well on the show very early. And once you're out there and people see you and you start to do well, you start to think somebody's going to want me. Like somebody's going to want me. So it wasn't really until then. And they had other things that I was doing. I was writing for a lot of different places. I was writing, producing web series and doing all of that stuff. But when I got there and I was on TV, I was like, okay, now I got something to show somebody if I have to make a dash and go to the next spot. So TMZ is, that was your, I kind of semi-made-it moment out here in the city. Not so much made-it moment. It was the, there's a place for me in this industry moment. Mm -hmm. it's, it was a place where, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what TMZ is. I'll use a sports analogy for you. And this is why it was never good enough. But let's say you had wanted to be an NBA player your entire life. That's what you really want. TMZ is like being a referee, okay? So if you want to be in the NBA and you want to be a player, you want to emulate all of these people and work with all of these people and, and do all of this stuff, being a referee is the hardest job mm -hmm. because you're right there. You're talking to the players. They know you. The hardcore fans, they know you. You know what I mean? You can smell the sweat. You're, so you're a part of the game, but you're not playing it. And I didn't realize that that's what TMZ was. So when I first got to TMZ, I thought I was in the game. Like I, th I thought that I was, but I was refing it. You know what I mean? Um, literally calling fouls on players. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 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 like literally calling fouls. Like, look what they did. Look what they did. And so, and so um, it wasn't my, my I made it moment. It was the, okay, I'm here moment. You're at least like, you're in the arena. You're in, I'm in you're, the arena. On, you're on the court, literally. Right. But like, yeah. Right. I'm like a reverse Hayward Workman. Mm -hmm. You know, Hayward Workman started off, he was playing <laughs> and now he's a ref. Right. I was that, that ref that kind of finagled his way onto a roster. 
You know what I mean? But did you see that path? Did you see a way to parlay something like TMZ into actually yourself getting in the game? Always. I didn't know how it would happen. Um, and I certainly couldn't have counted on what ended up happening. Who could have counted on that, right? And even that was serendipitous to a degree, the whole yay thing. But I always knew that because in, in Los Angeles, I always knew that somehow that would work out for me. In Los Angeles, that's a currency in and of itself. You know, if people... Really Could you explain that? Could you explain that to folks who don't live in LA and kind of don't understand the sort of what I call in and out culture? Meaning in LA, you're either in or you're out. Right. Right. <laughs> like people, people move there trying to get in, uh-huh. and then you get in or you don't. And again, you might go back to Nebraska, but like in LA, you're either in or you're out. So talk to people about what that currency of being over at TMZ meant for you? So working at TMZ would be one thing, but being on the television show, mm-hmm. when people see you every day on TV, I never forget my homie, uh, Tay Diggs. I met Tay before TMZ in the gym. And we just became friends. We've been friends 10 or 11 years now. And I remember First him saying- same drop of the pod, y'all. Shut <laughs> up. Uh, and, and I remember him saying to me, I remember him saying, hey, just to let you know, being on TV, like, do you know how many- rich millionaire people in this city they got money because they doing whatever or whatever that's what they want to do it's like everybody trying to get on there you're on there every single night multiple times a day and so when that happens people start to think oh he must be worth something because you're in a town where everybody's trying to do one thing and then for whatever reason you did it now unbeknownst to those people you could literally be at tmz and be a PA that Harvey likes, and he'll throw you on the show. It doesn't really, uh, I was a tour guy. I got the job because my unemployment got screwed up, right? I was on a tour guy and he came and took my tour and went, put him on the show. And so that's how it happened. But for everyone else in the city, you must be in some way supremely, uniquely talented for it to have happened for you. That's one of those things where, like, I'm going to try to curtail how much I hate L.A. in this in the course of this conversation. But that's one of the that's one of those things that is so different about L.A. and New York. Right. Whereas in, in New York, you have all the money in the world. Half the people who have all the money in the world could not give a shit about being on television. And right. I don't think anyone here thinks that you must be important if you're on TV. I think we're a lot more realistic about that. But in L.A., like you said, and this is no knock on anybody who is on TV. All three of us have been and are on TV. But that's the ultimate goal for everyone who was there. And that's one of the things that surprised me the most when I was there is that I thought that had to have been a stereotype. There had to have been people there who didn't have that as their ultimate goal. But that's just not the case. Well, it's the people that are from here now. They just live in their lives. When you meet... When you meet the people that are uh, the people that are from here, like they just chilling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They, they some of them care about it, some of them don't. But most of the transplants, if not all of the transplants, like if you want to do theater, you go to New York. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it, it, you either try to rap your way on TV or sing your way on TV or whatever. If you're out here, most of the time. So I'm I'm very interested in the I, t- I feel like your perspective is a very unique and important one as somebody who obviously cared and studied culture, pop culture specifically, and this sort of the fame machine of America. And then you get placed in the eye of the storm, the belly uh. of the beast, so to speak. How does your sort of perspective shift from Baton Rouge van to 
literally you're seeing how the sausage gets made type of stuff at TMZ. What is that like? It armed me because it's a good question. These guys are on y'all shit. It, <laughs> it, 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 uh, it, it armed me because... Oh man, none of this real. Like it's like it's like it's like it's like the emperor has it, literally no clothes. Like it armed me because it's like they go through so. I just wish you guys like they go through so much trouble. It means so much. TMZ gave me access to celebrities who would have never spoken to me, but their image is so important. I mean, they work on these. Think about what it must have took. Steph to get, I watched this video on Steph. I'm watching Steph shoot. I'm like, think about how many times he must have shot a basketball in his life. Now, take Steph Curry's work ethic towards basketball and then put it into Instagram <laughs> or to like being famous or to never making a mistake. Like, that's how you have to live. And like, I watched that come from people who had both made mistakes and for people who just wanted to be more famous. Man, when I was working here, I put everybody on TV. I put my homies from the gym on TV. I put my neighbors, whatever you were doing, I got to be such a big deal that I would say, hey, this is the next big deal here in Hollywood. They would be, oh, okay, man, what's up? And then I would just put you on TV, right? Um, Lil Dicky, the first time Lil Dicky ever got on TV was because I had I, I happened upon his one of his videos and thought it was dope. Um, and then I created a segment for him to kind of get on. And then you know it's been like that since. So just watching it all, once I got to the other side, I kind of had a better understanding of just how it's y'all. I don't mean to sound. Man, we gotta give the people the real talk. Okay, yo, I just okay, fine. It's all fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, don't like it, 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 when, when I say it's all bullshit. I mean, yo, it's all bullshit. A couple of times something happens that wasn't contrived and wasn't whatever. And then we get and then you get whatever you get. Right. But like, it's all bullshit. Huge NBA star. Not going to tell you who it is. Huge NBA star. I'll I got touch my, you on the side. Yeah, I got my <laughs> like I got my camera. Right. Example. I go to shoot this huge NBA star at Foot Locker. They're huge. They're kids waiting for an autograph. He is not, or a picture was like, he's not paying attention to them. I look at the kids, I go, hey, you guys want an autograph? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. I pull out my camera. Hey, how you doing? Blah, 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 blah. Start signing the autographs and posting pictures and stuff like that. Now, I'm not saying that that person is a bad person, but what I'm saying is they might have been tired. They get hounded everywhere they go. They just want to shop for their shoes and they want to leave, right? Mm -hmm. But what I will tell you is that the camera brings out the part of them that they are working on. And there is a real person, a human being, flesh and blood, with all of these dreams and desires and wants and needs that's just trying to feed themselves and other people. And then there is a project. And TMZ, let me get into the fact between the people and who they are as fame projects. And like you have people calling you up honestly saying, hey, please don't do this. And this is the way I really felt. And sometimes you talk to a celebrity's mother or to one of their, and, and, and it was just like, yo, man, <laughs> like, like, like this shit is really crazy. So now when I leave, I look, I can look at something and be like, ah, that shit fake. Like, it's not was that Kanye one of those finally unscripted moments? That was unscripted, at least on my part. I can't speak for what his intention was. I was going to say, if everything is carefully crafted, even when it doesn't have to be scripted, when you know people are paying attention, you happen to be a famous person like Ye, how much can you actually take to heart that everything that they do in public is authentic? He definitely turned on during then. 
during that 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 interaction. He came in there and was the most polite, humble, quiet guy ever. When it was time to talk, he's screaming and yelling. And maybe because he was into himself. So I'm not saying he was being fake. Mm. I very much believe he he meant he meant the things he said. But that interaction was real. And it was actually so real because I couldn't have had it a couple of years prior because I haven't shooting my jump shots being on TV. So I was very comfortable and I was very measured and my heart wasn't beating out of my throat mm-hmm. and all of that stuff because I was I was there for that moment. But, yeah, that was I don't know what he thought was going to happen or what he wanted to say or what what the deal was. But that one. That was pretty real. For my part, it was 100%. To rewind for people that are listening, Kanye goes up to TMZ. He's promoting an album at the time. The Terrible Seven Song album. I don't even remember what it's um, called. Um, And he gets up there and he's talking to Harvey. And he says that slavery was a choice and black people are basically idiots for having been oppressed in America, X, Y, and Z. And Van steps up and says, you're wrong, fam. <laughs> you got it wrong. You got it twisted, brother. I truly hear you when you say, like, you took your reps, you did your shots, and you you were used to being on TV because, you know, when Kanye comes up and says all these things, you you didn't react in a way that was overly emotional. Obviously, you were impassioned. But you literally said something like, like, no, you're what you are saying right now is the absence of thought. And you also called him out on like what you are saying right now has real world consequences and you have a responsibility to be better with the messaging and the platform that you have. How did you arrive at like what you said to him in that moment? Well, moment is the key word because I was in the moment. Actually, the reason why the absence of thought came up, I didn't, if you go back and watch it, when Kanye said slavery is a choice, what he said was this. I don't want to misquote him because he gets mad. He said, Slavery was 400 years. 400 years? That sounds like a choice to me, the implication. Mm. you know. So when he said that, I didn't say anything. What he then said was, he got up. If you watch the video, he got up and he goes, does it feel like I'm thinking freely right now? And then I said, no. It doesn't feel like you're thinking anything. What you're doing is actually the absence of thought because you're not putting any thought into what your words actually mean for everybody else. And so for me, I think inside of me, there's like an actual and genuine need to give everybody their proper respect and their proper oxygen. So I didn't want to like be mean to Kanye. I don't like looking at that. And then like, I don't get any, I'm not like on Twitter waiting for people to fuck up so I can Right. Bash they shit in. That's like that's not something that I think is dope. So I'm talking to him and I'm like, the re- I'm speaking my true heart. The reality is, man, I love you. I love you. Like <laughs> I love an artist, a, a, a person that I never met. And it's Kanye. It's, it's yeah, Kanye West. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, you, you, uh, that's Who's what I'm more talking important about. Like, than I, you, artist. Yeah, like I, like you, you're talking to me, your number one acolyte. Your <laughs> Nobody's better. You're nobody's realer. Remember, we talked about Hurricane Katrina earlier. Do you remember what Ye did during Hurricane Katrina? Mm-hmm. Like at that point, like I even get chills now. It almost makes me feel like I feel a sense of loss. Hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like it's hard. Like he was our champion. And the, and everyone, everybody else, because remember, this was not besides the guys who had always been doing it, Dead Prez, <laughs> to live and most, and all of those guys. 
in terms of mainstream hip hop, this was not an overly political or social time. And it was fun, but to have a rapper like that who was who was that big on the charts and on a rock talk about all of these things was groundbreaking to me. It was different. Hadn't been like that in a while, you know, and he resurrected Common. So Common could talk about that. I don't want to say resurrected, but Common took another step yeah. in his career. Everybody B knows. is a classic, yes. Yeah, so so I was just talking to him the way I really felt. If I'd have known that it was time to say something shy, I probably would have fucked it up. <laughs> so hold on then though because again I don't want to get stuck on this moment that's fine but I think it's about? very instructive too because you y'all, that clip went super mega dumb viral changed my life you know what I mean yeah so it, it, like you get thrown into this vortex of attention in mm-hmm. the attention economy and <laughs> what is that even like dude because like you know realistically Again, you're a regular cat, right? Right. You happen to do this TV job, but you're a normal person. This isn't your everyday people knowing you, who you are, walking up to you, do like, yo, thank you for saying that type of stuff. Right. Like, what is that? So, like, right away, it was almost, uh, and reading comic books really prepared me because <laughs> it, it did. Because I always wonder, like, what happens the moment after, you know? So you're Spider-Man. You get bit by the radioactive spider. And that's the part they have to explain more than anything else. Because if I'm Spider-Man and I get bit by the spider, I'll probably go, okay, I'm going to web swing my ass right <laughs> to First National Bank and then web swing straight to the Maldives. You know what I mean? Or if not do that, I'm not, I'm not a criminal inside, but if not do that, <laughs> go like, go like make money, play football, do something, right? What makes something like that, what makes a person like do I'm not saying that I'm a superhero, but what I'm saying is there was a moment where I was like, huh, how do I continue to be me? Because I started to go to my Instagram and then post things that I think that people will want to see me post, like be mad about stuff that I really wasn't mad about <laughs> mm-hmm. or try to like understand things that I really didn't understand. So I decided that in that, in that situation, I will continue to be me, continue to be, to, to make the jokes, to be vulnerable and to do all of that stuff. But it's not going to be my place to really opine on as many things as you think that it is. It's my place to give a platform to people who are doing this every single day, which is in the longer uh, back and forth between me and Ye is what I say. I said, there are people that are on the ground fighting this war and they need help from people like you. So in that moment, the edict was set. So I have my opinions and everything that I believe, but. I think part of it is for me to like give a mic to people who need help everywhere, you know? Well, so is that how you get from, you know, that moment three years ago that puts you on the map, like, you know, helps build your career to where you are now, where you're working on stuff that seems to be really meaningful, where you are giving, putting, literally putting a camera in front of those people who are doing that work on the ground. Yeah, it's like, it, and you, you can't do it all the time. Sometimes you want to have some fun. Sometimes, I, you know, mm-hmm. you want to be funny. You want to be engaging. You want to make stuff. You want to do all of that stuff too and just live your life and have your vacations too. But at the same time, it's like, I always say this, you know, people like Philip Agnew and Tiffany Lofton, you know, and DeRay don't need my platform at all. He got a bigger platform than me. But all of these people are people that I talk to and, you know, they have big ideas. Their solution based on how to fix things. Even some of the ones that, you know, we we don't know as well. 
Jason Wilson with the Cave of Adullam up there in Detroit, what he does for young black boys. Alicia Garza, all of these people, they have the ideas, you know? And so part of what I have to do is not think I know more than they do. So I don't want to be on, I don't want to turn into yay. I don't want to be up there telling people how they should live their lives and what they should do. I want to continue to learn, you know? So I'll learn from the people who know. So we all know you got fired from TMZ, right? Yeah. Air quotes, um, air quotes. (laughs) And after you left, um, I would love to know, especially for people who, you know, are creative people um, trying to make a living at being a creative person. When you conceived of what you would do next, what were you thinking about? Because, again, now you're Oscar nominated. (laughs) We got to say we got (laughs) to we got to tell people like this actually happened. Wait, we got to say he's Oscar nominated and Netflix acquired. And I don't yeah. know which one okay. is bigger, man. Exactly. Like- <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, one thing. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, yeah, you're right. Because it's, it's one thing to get an Oscar nomination. It's another thing to get your money back mm-hmm. for, what you, for what you put in. So. Well, and not for nothing to have everyone who subscribes to Netflix have Be access to, to watch this movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So around that time, uh, that that happened, I started making relationships with people that I didn't have before. And my relationship was built with Bill was one of those. Bill Simmons, um, founder of The Ringer. Bill Simmons, a founder of The Ringer. My relationship with Jimmy Kimmel was one of those. You know what I mean? And, you know, just myriad people. Kenya Bears, like all like just a, a, a bunch of different people. And we, them with my team, Arunda Garrett and Karen and like everybody that helped me, uh, we plotted out what it was that we wanted to do next. The biggest concern after how things ended at TMZ was that maybe you wouldn't have as many options. But the way that it happened, once again, it was just more like it was it, I mean, it was hell on me, hell on me. And that was the moment that I realized I was on the other side. <laughs> and it's so funny. It's so funny, man. It's like, th- that was the moment because I remember reading this and I was like, because uh, they call, right? Because it had been like, I don't know if I've ever talked about this. So it had been like two weeks since it had happened, right? Since you parted with TMZ. Since, it's, it's okay. Since TMZ fired me. It, like, it had been about two weeks or maybe a week. So what, this is what happened. So whatever happens with me and Mike, and don't take my word for it. Call Mike and ask Mike how close me and Mike are. It wasn't even a thing, but whatever. Okay, whatever, you know. So I had all, I only had during that time about maybe like one month left on my contract. And I had informed them that I wouldn't be coming back. So, you know what I mean? It was like everybody go their separate ways, whatever. So that had happened maybe about two weeks prior to page six doing it. And what happened in between then was that my coworkers threw me a going away party. <laughs> so my, my coworkers go, hey, uh, we didn't get a chance to say goodbye to Van or whatever. Because after that moment, so since after that moment that people saw, right, I've never been inside of TMZ after that. They told me they would mail me my stuff. I said, y'all can keep it. You know what I'm saying? So I hadn't been back in TMZ um, like uh, besides that. So I uh, went to the party with my coworkers. They they threw me a, a, the, the going away party. And after they threw me the going away party, that next Monday, somebody from page six called. And I was, they were like, hey, this is who it's so, 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 blah, blah, blah. And I, I picked up the phone and I talked to the guy, I didn't, you know, 
I didn't give him anything for the story, but I, I talked to him and then it was like, okay, well, this is coming out. And I was just shook. And when I remember reading it and going, Jesus Christ. And even seeing the way everything was put up and I actually laughed. I was like, oh, wow. This is what this feels like. <laughs> I was like, whoa. I was like, whoa. So this is how it looks. And everybody calling me up. Yo, man, you straight, you straight, you straight, you good. Let's do this. Let's boycott. I'm like, let's do nothing. Everything is fine. Gentle check in with Bill. Hey, man, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> you up? <laughs> hey, like, hey, hey, you man, read the paper today? Hey, yeah. Hey, man, how are you? You happen to pick up the New York Post uh, at all? Or? <laughs> and, and, and basically the response was, okay, well, it looks like we can start this sooner. Because we really weren't, we weren't able to talk business while I was still under contract because you know he was really good about that it's like we could start this sooner and we did so it's kind of what happened how'd you how'd you make this movie happen how long have you been working on well, it first we got it we got to drop it two distant strangers right oscar nominated as we've uh, said oscar nominated it's on netflix right now so our company came before the movie the company was is uh six feet over with me trayvon free nick may and samir hernandez that's the trayvon free compton legend compton legend trayvon free yeah um brilliant 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 guy so it was me, Nick, and Trayvon at first, and Samir, who has been just incredibly amazing, instrumental in bringing some people to the table on this, just has delivered. It's more of a recent addition. So initially, it was me, Nick, and uh, Trayvon that were talking about, you know, just what projects we wanted to do. It was around that time last uh, last year, following what happened to George Floyd. But we were we had always been having these conversations, and Trayvon mentioned this idea that he had, and I was like, that's what we have to do. Like, that's what we have to do. And Nick agreed and Trayvon's super talented girlfriend, Zaria, agreed. So right then we started raising money, as much money as we could. Hit up everybody, did what we did. And so, like, literally, I'd say after that, maybe two months later, we had the movie finished. Um, but we had to we had to rip and run. And we didn't know what was going on as far as COVID is concerned and all of that stuff like that. It was different making the film. So it came together. And then after that, I can't even explain what's happened since then. It's really been weird to see. Like, it's something that you're a part of. Like, literally, I live right around the corner. Like, when I say right around the corner, five minutes walking distance from a billboard of a movie I produced. (laughs) Just crazy. And I couldn't be more happy with everybody's response to it and just more thrilled with everything that it's doing right now. Obviously, we wanted to have you on because... You're killing it and you're doing your thing in the media space, in the culture space, in the creative space, of course. But really what we wanted to have you on for, Van, was to take you to task for your Snyder Cut takes. Let's do it. Um, (laughs) Kavitha, I'm going to give you the floor. Well, I'll let you speak for yourself. What were your thoughts of the Snyder Cut? I liked it. (laughs) I liked it. How's that sound? It's a five-hour movie, Van. He has never read a comic book in his entire life. Well, that tells me something. Not you. Zack Snyder has never read a comic book in his entire life. So what? I'm going to get real textual in this in this, in this. So, so right he, he, he probably has it, but he made a competent movie. See, now, is that just about how far DC live action has fallen, that the Zack Snyder competency line is where we are? So here's the thing. Yes. <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, I liked the movie. It, it would be a mid-tier MCU movie. A mid-tier MCU movie. Okay? But I liked it. And for what it was, trying to be a superhero epic, I enjoyed it. Is the film perfect? 
Of course not. Is it close to perfect? No. Um, but I felt I feel it was an enjoyable romp with all of those characters. I do think that DC could serve those characters better. And I'm hoping that they okay. will. Okay. My whole thing is that DC already does serve those characters better in animation. And Perfect. why can we why can't we just take the animated stuff and turn it into live action? I don't know. I, right? To be honest with you, these are questions that I, you're asking questions that I've asked. Okay. We are on the same page. Why don't you just take, uh, like, why don't you just, you, you, we don't know how to make a Superman movie good. Okay, cool. Uh, Me and my boy Jason talked about this. And Jason was like, why don't you just take All Star Superman and Mm -hmm. then just make that Mm -hmm. as a movie? When I say make it, I mean straight up remake All Star Superman and then that's your movie. Right. It's like, that's the thing. So then the you want you want a Batman origin story? Mask of the Phantasm can just very Mask much do that, right? Live action. Let's go. Right. Even they came out with a new one recently that was like it was black exploitation plus Bruce Lee. Soul oh, of the yeah, Dragon. It was Batman. It was uh, Soul yeah. of the Dragon, I want to say. Yeah. Batman, so the dragon, he had to get with all of the, the martial arts masters to take mm-hmm. down. Yeah, all of that stuff. So even that one was super fun. And what I noticed was that all of those voice actors are actual live action actors. And all the comic book geeks on the forums that I'm a part of were like, maybe this is them trying to figure out how to actually <laughs> cross that over yeah look it's a it's a bunch of things they could do right but they seem to be pretty committed to doing it wrong (laughs) and it's also kind of it's the whole thing to where like when you have somebody nipping on your heels like marvel is you can't concentrate on what it is that you're doing Mm -hmm. so dc forget about marvel make your movies one at a time however long it takes one of like make your movies, make them great, and then wrap them up when you can. Either that, or give Kevin Feige a one billion dollar contract <laughs> to come to DC, <laughs> and he'll fix it. You know. <laughs> well, I'm so happy we got to do that nerd portion of the pod. I know. Look, you see, Kavitha perked up <laughs> once we got into the comic book section of things. Listen, man, I, I, I've been going back to old Silver Age comics because this is who I am. And like today I posted the Green Lantern issue of 76 when Green Arrow finally like walks in and tells him, no, this is like how the hood lives. And you're a space cop. and We need to like talk about this. Right. right. So like I'm fully in this mode right now. But anyway. Then thank you, man. Thank you for coming on. You're story is an incredible one. I think, you know, a lot of people are out there trying to achieve things, their dreams, trying to live their dreams, live what they want for themselves. And your story is an instructive one in in the sense that you took a gamble on yourself, left Louisiana, came to LA, and you're about to get an Oscar. So... (laughs) Hey man, uh, hopefully. Hey man, I'm so happy that you came on with us. Obviously, thank you guys for listening. This is the Culture Calculus. I'm Big Wise for Kavita Davidson. We out of here. Peace.